Pastor Mike Favares with Focal Point Ministries. I trust that the following recorded sermon will be a benefit and a challenge to your Christian walk. For more information about Focal Point Ministries, log on to our website at focalpointministries.org, focalpointministries.org, or call us toll-free at 888-320-5885. Ending this semester with a discussion on Satanism. I, I think because it is so misunderstood and often thought of in such a narrow sense, it would be good for us to broaden our perspective here a little bit. And so we'll descend as we go through this from one perhaps more familiar territory to less familiar territory. Uh, but let us start by talking about spiritual realities. This is important for us to think through. Spiritual realities, uh, just to think about what we mean by the word spirit, both in Greek in the New Testament and Hebrew in the Old Testament. We're dealing with a word that doubles for breath, for wind. Uh, what we're talking about in terms of who we are is that, that aspect of us that does not, to use the words of Jesus in Luke twenty four thirty nine, does not have flesh and bones. We are so used to interacting with each other through the medium of our physical bodies that we sometimes lose track of the fact that we are not our physical bodies. Uh, Certainly we are a homogenized whole in in one sense, but we have two very distinct components. And so when we talk about spirit, we talk about that part of us that has the capacity to think, to reason, to have an emotional reaction, though we experience that through what we call feelings. Those emotional realities are things that are dealt with in our non-material part and, of course, our ability to make uh, decisions, to create, to manage, to exercise dominion, all those things take place in our spirit expressed through the medium of our bodies. But spirit itself does not have flesh and bones. It's immaterial. It's not seen. It takes up no space. It is invisible. Human spirituality, uh, you remember back from our anthropology study, it is the creation of people to exist in a physical realm and to have a corporeal, uh, tactile Reality. So the dirt from the ground God uses when he creates matter and then he creates bodies and we are made of the material of, of the planet. You can find all our material in our bodies in, in, in the dirt. Uh, and then he breathes into us the breath of life and that immaterial part is the part that matters. Of course, our bodies matter because of the sanctity of the spirit that dwells within them. But human spirituality, if you think about it, is, is who we are. And, and I, I say that often from this platform, but it's important for us to recognize that. And if we miss that part, we miss understanding who we genuinely are at the core level, that what we call the ontological level. Our body, apart from the spirit, I'm using all these phrases from scripture here, uh, James 2, 26, is dead. Body apart from the spirit is dead. So uh, a person is at one moment there because there is spiritual activity, and then that spiritual activity leaves, and all those same cells, all the material, all the, the proteins, all the, the, the elements of, of the body are still there, but life is gone, spirit is gone. And, and that concept of that dichotomy is important for us to catch because the part that matters is not the body. I've been in many situations where our loved ones die in our church and we're there one minute gathered around that person because they're there and then they're not there and then everyone leaves because the body, though it's important, is not the person. And uh, so we understand the body apart from the spirit is dead. The spirit is what matters. 
And of course, Jesus in Matthew 27, 50, willfully yielded up his spirit. He was going to be done with life in that body, at least for the week. And we see the same thing happen in Acts 7, 59 with uh, Stephen as he's being stoned and his spirit, he asked the, the Lord to receive his spirit. So if you don't think in those terms, you don't think accurately. The naturalist, as we thought about last time we were together, has no answer for this. Uh, not that, as we said at the very end, God is the God of the gaps. It's not that we need to explain these things because uh, we can't, exp- we, not that we need God because we can't explain these things. It's that the reality of who we are and the reality of life necessitates God and, and the, the whole of it necessitates God. So we are spirit. God is spirit. And that's who we really are. And there are moments, and maybe I think about it too often or deeply, but I assume there's times maybe when you understand that what we're dealing with when we're together with each other is not who we really are. We possess these bodies, we exist within these bodies, but what matters is my spirit. And as I often remind you, all of our cells are, are, are gone in a matter of, I mean, some are very short-lived, some are longer term, but in any given decade, you, you are completely different in terms of a cellular reality. The, the thing that exists through the continuity of your life is your spirit. And, and that's what animates your flesh. And the moment it's gone, then you are dead and, and your body ceases to have life. What matters is spirit. Uh, and God instilled that awareness in us. That's why, as we often quote, that Solomon writes about eternity being in our hearts. There's a sense in which we know that we are spirit and we have that, um, that reflexive understanding of, of who we are. Human spirituality. There is non-human spirituality. And this is the interest, of course, of people because we deal with spirit every day when it comes to each other. Um, but then there's spirit that is not human, uh, not in the sense that we speak of in terms of dust plus breath. Uh, and we start with God, the most important spiritual other. And he's the one that we are most concerned with. We have that hardwired into our spirit. That's a mixed metaphor. We have an awareness of the spirit of God because we are made in his image. We are not rocks. We're not trees. Uh, We are animate. He is a a spirit that gives us life. And so we understand the reality of wanting to relate to the ultimate spirit. In every culture, anthropologists will study in every generation has a sense of that quest to know the spirit that creates us, the spirit of the sky, the spirit of the universe, whatever it might be, because we are intuitively seeking relationship with that God in one way or another, running from it, uh, but aware of it. Um, Some cases drawing near it, some cases having to redefine it so I can be comfortable with my sin. But nevertheless, we recognize the spirit that is God. John 4.24 that's the woman at the well discussion when Jesus says God is spirit. And, and um, he says that in such an emphatic way. That is the essence of who he is. We can see that throughout the scripture, but there's a, a simple central passage to describe that. Then there is this class that we're told about all throughout the Bible that is not dust plus breath. It's, it's not dichotomized like we are in terms of spirit and and, and material substance. They are spirit like God, but they are not God because they're derived spirits. They are created spirits. 
So you got two categories in the universe. You've got God who creates all things, and you have the created spirits. Some of them, I don't want to give proportions here, but some of them have bodies for a time on this planet until they're separated from those bodies, which is an act of grace so that we might have eternal life and resurrection. That's another soteriological discussion. But we recognize that there are these other beings that are described that have no corporeal, no tactile, no physical, material existence. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14, for instance, calls them ministering spirits. There's the description of what they do. They serve and they are not dust plus breath. Number four, demons now are a part of that class of angels. They just happen to be distinguished because they are rebellious. They're evil. They're bad. They've done wrong. They've chosen to rebel against God's directives, to live outside of his rule, to transgress his law. Um, they're called angels several times in the Bible. I'll put this passage up, Matthew twenty-five forty-one. In the words of Christ, He speaks of the devil and his angels. Uh, speak elsewhere of, of elect angels and and uh, evil angels, fallen angels. Uh, we have this distinction of these spirits that are not good, that are in this uh, reality that we are a part of. Um, the reality that we're a part of is not just physical, it is spiritual. We just happen to inhabit a physical reality. Satan, of course, in the Bible, it's very clear, is a demon. And in that sense, he's in that second class in terms of one class being the creator, everything else being the created. Here is one individual spirit within the fallen spirit class that don't have dust plus breath. This is one who has a rank among others, and we learn something about that in, in Scripture, not a lot. In uh, Luke 14, for instance, Ezekiel 28, allusions to it at least. So that gives us some of the players that we're going to look at. We've got Satan, we've got demons, we've got these rebellious spirits, and this is all review for you, but I want to speak in these terms for a while as we get started, because what we're dealing with here tonight is thinking about non-human spirits amid human affairs. Human affairs being dust plus breath, we are people who are, for now, constrained within the physical material world in physical bodies. I, I can't leave that. I'm stuck in that for now. And yet the Bible speaks of these intellect, emotion, will entities, these spirit beings that are not him that exist in this cosmos, this world, this existence. They interface in some ways at some points in some time in some way. And they're in two categories of fallen and holy, of evil and elect, to put it in terms of Scripture. And I could go on for a long time, which I did in the uh, angelology study that we did on Thursday nights. We see this throughout the Scripture from the very beginning, the third chapter of the Bible. Satan uh, shows up in some manifestation in the garden. However you'd like to understand that seems very uh, straightforward in its depiction, and he tempts uh, human beings. So we've got interface between human affairs and non-human spirits. Uh, you've got this uh, strange connection with uh, angels now, the good angels, dealing with Abraham in, in Genesis. Then you've got, just to move to the next book, those are in Genesis, you've got in Exodus, the angels governing the Exodus, which is referred to like three different times, at least in terms of God sending his messengers, his angels to guide and protect them through the wilderness wanderings for 40 years. 
And yet in the description there in the Pentateuch during that time of their wandering, it speaks of the problem of idolatry and the sacrifice uh, people are making to these idols that the Bible says they're making them to demonic spirits, to non-tactile, non-corporal, non-physical entities, even though they may not know it. To speak of the history book, Satan tempting David, inciting him to number the troops. In that same scene, angel brings judgment. So you've got evil angel, the ultimate evil angel, the uh, ranking evil angel tempting David, and then David sins, and God then seeks to judge David and sends his own messenger, a good and holy obedient angel, to exercise and execute that justice uh, on, on David's kingdom. Of course, you've got an interface between the human affairs of a man named Job. In the book of Job, Satan attacked Job, and he attacks him through crime, through people robbing from him, disaster coming upon his kids through a windstorm, through physical ailments. All of those are directly connected to and attributed to non-physical beings who have an interface with the human affairs of of Job's life. In that period of the prophets, post-exilic prophets, you've got Daniel there who's being protected by in a lion's den in a very unusual situation where you wouldn't think that he would come through that without being eaten. And it's attributed to in scripture to a non-physical being in the lion's den. In the New Testament, you've got the angels coming and announcing the nativity, both to a certain nativity of John the Baptist to Zechariah and then to Mary and also to Joseph in terms of the protection of the baby. Got several scenes there. In Matthew 4, you've got the temptation of Christ having a real encounter in a physical body, yet he's having some kind of temptation that's attributed to, in very specific terms, to Satan. You can move on through the New Testament, the book of Acts. It's a very truncated survey, but I'm just trying to say throughout the Bible, we have these scenes where the curtain is pulled back, where you have problems going on, where there are, in this case, a lot of very psychotic and strange issues going on in people's lives in in the book of Acts. Uh, and even some exorcists, the seven sons of Sceva, coming to try and free these people from the problem with their incantations learned from the intertestamental period. And the New Testament Apocrypha, or the um, Old Testament Pseudopigrapha, rather, but it doesn't matter. The point is, you've got incantations of Jewish exorcists, and you've also got a description in the book of Acts of angels protecting the apostles during the heightened persecution of the Romans. So, I just sat down and wrote out these things of thinking, okay, all throughout the Bible, you have human affairs being somehow described as interfacing with non-physical beings. Now, they're just like us in the sense that they have intellect, emotion, and will. Uh, they, They think, they reason, they create, they decide, they have emotional responses, they reason. They just don't do it within the medium of the physical bodies that you and I have, and they don't do it through the playing field of the of the the world that we're in god makes the world it becomes a focus of his attention and now as as his sovereign plans play out we're in a world that's filled with this reality so spiritual realities that's all i want to start with we have a definition of spirit we have who we are we have the reality of our own interface with angelic beings in two classes angels and demons with a head honcho we call Satanism. Thus the name of our, our last lecture here. Satanism, what are we talking about? What we're talking about is going to be, just to use this as a reference point, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, and I know it has a very specific reference in that 
passage about something Satan was doing in the church of Corinth. But what Paul said and wanted us to understand, and he assumes it in a positive, optimistic sense, that we wouldn't be outwitted by Satan. In other words, he is actively trying to interface with human affairs, but we're not going to be ignorant of his designs, his schemes, his strategies. So I know this, it's a good thing for us to do the very unpleasant work of what we want to do tonight. We want to think about Satan's strategies, his designs, his schemes. How does he go about trying to interface with the world? Uh, We'll just trust tonight God's work, though we studied it in angelology, to care about what's going on in the good side of this class of angels we call the elect angels or the good angels, holy angels. And what we're concerned about is the devil and his angels, the demons, and what are their what are their strategies? What can we learn uh, from the Bible and see fleshed out in our world as it interfaces with humanity, interfaces with humanity? What can we learn about his design? So that's what we're going to do for the rest of the time. One, two, three, four, five, six different contexts. And, and this may not seem at all sensational to you at the outset, which of course I'm not trying to be sensational. I'm just trying to get to the place of understanding what his designs are so that we would say with the Apostle Paul, we're not outwitted by him. We know what he's doing. We understand the reality of it. And again, I say those things, and if a skeptic or non-Christian or some atheist or naturalist is here or listening or whatever, that sounds so odd to them. But that's why I wanted to start with the reality of the spiritual. You have the problem as a naturalist of trying to even explain consciousness and life and, and, and the reality of who we are. The only thing that explains that is that we are spirit, expressing ourselves through the medium of of, of, of material reality. Uh, who we are is who they are. There's good and there's bad, and the bad is influencing what goes on here within our world. So we want to see how he is, and let's take our cues and be much more biblically guided because I'm dealing with the invisible world in this sense. Biblically guided, I want to see these through the channels of Scripture in six different departments. So let's start with this department, the church. Satanism in the church, that's not a title you thought we would write down tonight. Is there Satanism in the church? Well, of course there is. There's satanic activity in the church, within the church of Christ. Put a picture up here from the news. ISIS executes dozens of Christians. What's that all about? Well, the scripture makes it very clear. One of his primary strategies is to persecute us. We see that in Job chapter one, God has a favored person. Satan would love to devour him. As it says in scripture, he roars, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Who's he interested in devouring? The children of his enemy. He hates God. He's in rebellion against God. He has no hope. All he can do is take as many people with him as possible. So we know he's trying to persecute Christians. Uh, Let's look at uh, on the screen here. I put it up on the screen. Revelation chapter two, verse 10, which says, do not fear. He tells the church what you're about to suffer. You're going to suffer some things just like in Job. He's going to let the leash out a little bit on the enemy. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for 10 days. You will have tribulation, but be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. There's a reason for it. We may not know what it is, just like Job didn't know what it was, just like his three friends didn't know what it was, but we recognize he's actively involved when he's allowed to persecute us, and he's, he's doing that around the world. And when we see screenshots like this of people professing Christ that are being killed or executed or shot or imprisoned or whatever it might be, we recognize there is Satanism active going on. Satan's at work through the agency of governments or in this case, terrorists, we call them, uh, these organizations to hurt us. Satan 
according to the Bible, is seeking to keep you from coming to church, keep you out of fellowship with Christians. Sharing the gospel with someone this week, talking about church, don't need church. I, I can just, you know, be a Christian and, and not go to church. Of course, I quote the Bible, and unless the Bible is authoritative to you, you're going to dismiss that. But in this case, we've got someone who's professing to care about God, but not caring about what he says. But the point is, God wants you in fellowship with your church, under the leadership of your local pastor, in fellowship within the structure of what he's designed in the pastoral epistles. And according to the Bible, we see this regularly. I just throw up one proof text for you here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, that Paul says, here's another example of the enemy at work in the church, among church people. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, and of course I understand this is a missionary in light of a church he's planted, but the principle applies. We see it throughout the scripture of us needing to get together and many satanic things keeping us apart. He says, for a short time, not, he says, in person, physically, but not in heart. Our minds, our prayers were with you, but we endeavored all the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, which is biblical and right and commanded. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So I know Satan is involved in keeping people from church. I pray for you every uh, Saturday afternoon and every Sunday morning early to pray that whatever Satan might want to do to keep you from church would be thwarted so that you could come and fellowship at church. And throughout the week, I'm praying for the ratios of participation from Sunday to the weekdays to always go up, whether it's home fellowship groups or our subcongregations or whatever it might be, because I know the enemy is working against that the interface of his spiritual crew against our physical involvement to bring our spirit to a place of fellowship in church. That's, that's the enemy's work. And let's just call it what it is. And again, I often say the point of Satan's work is primarily not to be involved in sensational things, but to be involved in things that make a difference to him. And what makes a difference to him is that you don't go to church, that you don't have an involvement in your church. Thirdly, to divide our church inciting unnecessary division. The Bible's very clear on this. Second, Timothy 2.23. Inciting unnecessary division in the church. Have you ever seen that happen? I have. It happens. And you know what? It's not just personalities. It's satanic involvement. Satanism in the church. Trust me, Satan's much more active, I think, in our churches. Well, I could pontificate, but yes, he's active in our churches wants to keep you from it. And then if you get there, he wants to incite unnecessary division once you show up. Satanism in the church. How does he deal with us? Well, he tries to keep us from engaging in evangelism. He certainly wants to do that. Many verses I could quote in this regard, but I think of Paul being commissioned as he recites that commission to King Agrippa. He says, Christ came and said, I appoint you as a servant, as a witness to the things which you have seen. I'm sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan, the captivity of Satan. Now it's one sense in Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 26, but here's another kind of captivity, a stronger hold, if you will, the power of Satan. They may receive forgiveness of sins. He doesn't want that. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, he certainly doesn't want that. So Satan is going to work hard to keep your mouth shut about evangelism. That's why I was preaching perhaps with, what did someone say, a vintage passion this last weekend about evangelism. We need to share our faith. And this time of year, it's teed up for us. And, and if you balked at that, if you haven't shared your faith between Sunday and today, uh, then he's, he's at work. If you felt the pang and you've moved in that direction, but you haven't done it, uh, there's satanic work, satanic activity. Probably not him personally. He probably has no interest in you personally, unless you're going to be someone huge in, in the kingdom. But certainly someone has been a, assigned 
to keep your mouth shut when it comes to evangelism. Let me give you another one. What are we at? Number five here, if you're numbering them. To prompt apostasy, defection. First Timothy chapter four, verses one and two says, now the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. Those are demons. The teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars. So demons want to draw people away. Satanism in the church. Satan is active in the church. And I I try to give you five or six things here in this first section to let you know that that is the Satanism that you should be most concerned about. Now, no one dropped their jaw. No one was ooing and awing. No one said, ooh, that's gross. That's weird. That scared me. I'm going to have nightmares tonight. The first section didn't do that to you, but it should because there's greater consequences perhaps for us tonight and your family and your life than, than even in the rest of this presentation. Nevertheless, we live in a world that certainly now we would say is very secular and they are, as we've said in the last lecture, uh, naturalists. They don't believe in, in things that are supranatural or supernatural. They don't believe in the spirit world. And so we're going to look in every one of these categories, we're going to define what Satan's strategy is. Uh, and, and, just, and from now on, I'm just going to give you one basic phrase that will describe it. And here's the, describe, here's the description of Satan in the marketplace, in the world, in secular society. To get people to ignore the spiritual, including their own spirituality. I mean, that's one major thing he does. Now, again, he has to have people fight their intuitive, ontological nature to do that. But if he can distract them in that, certainly in a world like ours, a developed you know, country where we have all the gadgets and gizmos, we get to a place where it's easy, I think, in Satan's game plan to get people distracted from the spiritual. They don't think about it. They're running, they're busy, they're crazy in terms of their life and their schedules, and they ignore the spiritual. And, and if Satan can get you to ignore the spiritual, fantastic. Then you'll die and your spirit will go to hell. And, and that Satan will count that a great victory. First John chapter five, verse 19, to dichotomize uh, us from the rest of the world, he puts it this way. We know that we are from God. We have this connection with God and the whole world, by contrast, lies in the power of the evil one. In the mindset of the scripture, here is something, a domain where Satan is involved. Now, that's just a statement about the oversight of that domain. Here's a bit more about the strategy of ignoring the spiritual. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four. I need to connect with the spirit that created me. There's only one mediator between that spirit and man. That's Christ. So this context is He's going to work hard to make sure you don't see the value of Christ. In any way to mitigate and minimize that, that's what he's going to do. So in the case of those that don't see the glory of Christ, in their case, the God, small g, of this world, that Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They don't see it. So if you can keep them blinded, which I think that's where we, most of us are. We're not in a lot of places in the world. And some of you travel broadly and I've traveled enough to know you can get to a lot of places that don't have the glitzy high rises and all the money and all the technology. And there's a lot more of a spiritual focus in those places. You get to places like America, uh, at least our little brand of America here, you get a lot of people that will never spend time contemplating the, the spiritual nature of themselves or their need to connect to the spirit that created them. So Satan is involved in that. And again, that's not ooh, that's not awe, that's not going to keep you up at night, perhaps, but maybe it should. To ignore the spiritual, he'll just keep you on on the path, the rat race. Look at how it's put here, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. You are dead. 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You live that way. Following, now here's the demonic description, the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Satan wants to get involved in people's lives. Don't take the turn off to go deal with God. Stay on this path. Stay here. Keep working in the direction of ignoring the spiritual. Satan would love to have that happen. And we see that all around us. So when I look at Satanism in the world, I look first at my immediate concern, particularly as a pastor and a father and a dad and a husband. I want to safeguard satanic work in my home, my family, my Christian life. Then I look at my non-Christian counterpart who doesn't care about spiritual things, and I'm concerned about Satan's work there to keep him not hearing, not seeing, blinded, not interested, playing golf, messing on his computer, watching movies, hanging out, buying new gadgets, and, and, and that's a, a perfect way for Satan to get people where he wants to take them. Number four, fourth category, or third category, Satanism and cultists and false religionists. He's at work in people that are following the cults and the world religions that we've been studying this semester. Now, define it in one phrase. Here's how I'd like to put it. They are pursuing a false view of the true God. That's Satan's strategy. Get them to pursue a false view of the true God. Now, they know enough about the true God to give him this definition of good and right and loving. Uh, sharing the gospel with someone t- this week about, you know, just saying God is loving, God is good, God is forgiving. I heard all those things spill out of their mouth. And I thought, yeah, those are principles and definitions you get from the ontological, in, in, intuitive just inherent idea you have of God. And of course, it reflects some of the principles in Scripture. Now, there's more to it than that, but that's the God that people intuitively understand, and they're going to want to somehow pursue that God or think that they're right with that God. So there's going to be an avenue. Satan's going to say, great, let me take that spiritual issue. If I can't keep you busy and enough noise in our culture to keep you from pursuing spiritual things, if you're going to pursue spiritual things, here Satan says, I've got a path for you. Let's give you an alternative. Look at how this put, is put in the scripture. I know people don't want to see false religions this way, but this is how the Bible always puts it. From Leviticus, which I quoted earlier. I didn't quote it, but I referenced it when I spoke of sacrificing to demons. It's put here this way, even in New Testament times, 1,400 years later, when he speaks of people going into the temples of, of Corinth. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Well, in the reality, the food doesn't matter. Or that an idol is anything. Well, in reality, that piece of metal is nothing. No. But, he says, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. Now, that's not what they think, right? They're going in there to hope to have a good crop to protect their workers. They want their baby that's going to be born in a couple months to be born healthy. So they go into those places wanting the God, the true God, to, to do favors for them. They want to connect with the true God. They want to walk out of the temple that day thinking that I am good with God, the God that is about benevolence and love and forgiveness and all those things, that he'll do good to me. So I want to pursue that God of concept, which is the God that faintly reflects the God of the Bible. In some cases, almost mirrors the God of the Bible, but the pathway is wrong. And so it's described as what you're really doing is serving demons. You're serving the enemy of God. So Satanism right? God's, uh, Satan's work within people's lives is to get them in a place where they're not going to have the truth of the gospel that's going to get them to Christ. 
Now, that's basically, and though we didn't define cults very clearly at the beginning of this series, that's one way I like to define a cult, and that is simply this. If I follow the dictates of this organization, will it lead me to biblical repentance and faith in Christ? And if it's not going to do that, well, then it's a satanic route. It puts God up at the end of the road. Here's, you know, we plug it into the GPS. I'm going to go to God. I'm going to get to God through this organization. And in the end, it never takes me there because it never gets me to understanding the Christ of the Bible and the call of repentance and faith. False religion is satanic. That's what I'm saying. False religion is demonic. No matter what that religion is, if it doesn't lead me to biblical repentance and faith with a biblical view of the Christ of Scripture, it is demonic. Just to give you a reference how Paul viewed this in a very religious city in Athens in Acts 17, he speaks to them at the Areopagus, these professors of the Athenian educational system, He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now, most people say, well, that's all we want from people because then they'll do good things. And you know what? Religious people will do good things. Mormons will do good things. But if you follow the dictates of that religion, you are not going to be saved. That's the problem. And he says, though you're religious, there's a problem. I looked and I passed through your city. I observed all the objects of your worship. And I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. In other words, you've missed it. You miss the God that's really there. You're pursuing a God through all these means and mechanisms, sacrificing and idols that aren't the real God. And therefore, I'm going to explain him to you because you've missed the point entirely. Now, they're very religious people, and you know a lot of religious people, and you may think their lives are good, and perhaps they are good, and they don't steal, they don't cheat, they don't lie very much. Well, that's great. But the Bible says they may be very upstanding people, but they are involved in demonic activity, according to the Bible. All the way to the end of time, by the way. This whole idolatry thing doesn't change. All the way to the end of time. Revelation chapter 9. In the last segment of life on this planet as we know it, according to Revelation chapter 9 verse 20, when God starts meeting out judgment on the planet, the Bible says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues up to that point, up until that point in Revelation 9, did not repent of the works of their hands. Now that may spell a materialistic world, materialistic society perhaps. They, all, all these things they're engaged in, not God. They worship and serve created things instead of the creator. Yeah, perhaps. Or give up worshiping demons. Now he's going to parallel that to this. And idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. And, and so, and I think to myself, that's as modern as going to certain places in the world and seeing people engaged in, in, in bowing down, burning incense, burning candles, and giving homage to idols. Oftentimes, it's the work of their hands. It's the skyscrapers. It's the busyness of secular, naturalistic life. Other times, it's the devotion of, of idolatry. False religion. False religion is demonic. And, and the Bible is very clear about that. Okay? That was a short section. Let's get into a longer section. That's where you thought we were going to start. But if we don't think about Satan's involvement in the church, first of all, and in the secular person, and in the false religious cultist or false religionist, then we've missed a big, big, big tactic or design of Satan, and we're not going to be outwitted by him, and we're not going to think people are okay just because they're not drinking blood out of a skull. Next one. Satanism of the occult and New Agers. Now, that's a broad set of words, Occult, by the way, Latin word that means secret or hidden. And what you're seeing, even in that description, is a broad enough term to be an umbrella term for a lot of other things because the concept is that there are things that we do not see in this reality that we live in. 
which is exactly how we started. This is a spiritual person living in a material world, but there are spiritual things out there, spiritual things around here we don't see. We are going to tap into those. New agers, to use a more modern term from the last 50 years or so, uh, been around longer than that, but the idea of that being popular in our American culture, those ideas are all just basically describing this one phrase, pursuing spiritualism without God, or at least any real central reference to God, and clearly not any kind of God that would qualify for the guy down the street that's dutifully going to church. It just happens to be a cult, but he's pursuing the same kind of God that people talk about, the God of love, God of grace, the God of goodness, the God of forgiveness, the God who wants to bring me all things because he's sovereign, he's in charge, his administration rules over everything. No, these are people that just are tapping into the spiritual and so God is removed from this, or if he's any part of a new ager or a, uh, a spiritist or an occultist, it's way off to the side and has nothing to do with reflecting the true God of the Bible. Now, that's been going on for a long time. Back to 1440 BC and Deuteronomy 18 verses 9 through 12. Now there's a lot going on here. I'll skip the first phrase in this list for purposes we'll get back to, but for in this section, let's just talk about these phrases. There shall not be any found. Now, if you're going to go into this new place, I mean, he's basically instructing Deuteronomy, second giving of the law. We've already given the law. We're going to read, speak the law, give some uh, fullness to the law, some detail of the law. Then we're going to hand the baton to Joshua. Joshua's going to go into the promised land and take that generation that survives the wilderness wandering and inhabit the place. They're going to fight, then they're going to settle. Now, when you get there, he says, don't reflect what's going on in the land because they're doing a lot of things that would be occultic, new age-ish to kind of use an anachronistic term. That's certainly not going to come around for a long time, but here are the, here's the essence of it. Let's just name these one at a time. Who practices divination, divination. Divination is the motivation of someone to want to know something about the future. Usually want to figure out what's coming in the future by some kind of spiritual or supernatural means, not physical. We're not going to set out a, a, some kind of a barometer. We're going to, you know, use something that we think is going to tap into the spiritual realities of life. Again, this is pursuing a kind of spiritual activity without God. Now, again, why does that really connect with people? Because we're spiritual beings, spiritual beings, and we need to connect with spirit, with God, but we're going to move God to the side, but I want to have that niche kind of filled in my life. I want to have that, that desire uh, satisfied, that appetite. I, I need to have that, that sated and met. How do I do that? Well, I'm going to connect with the spirit world somehow. And in this case, that word divination, we'll come back to some modern expressions of that in a minute, but that's trying to tap into something beyond the physical to know what's coming next. Look at the next phrase, which is as modern as perhaps your stroll through the Irvine spectrum, you know, last night, one who tells fortunes. Someone who comes and does some kind of reading in your life, some kind of, as the old word was soothsaying, some kind of, of, of connection with you that is either going to just tell plainly or even try to dictate or influence the future through some means beyond the physical, some kind of spiritual connection. Now, there's nothing left out in this list except the ellipsis there was because of sacrifice. We'll get around to that in, in, in a little bit later. But right now, this list is complete. Practicing divination, telling fortunes, we'll move on. The third one, interpreting omens. This is the next thing that he says. You're going to go in and meet these people. They're involved in spiritual activity, but it has nothing to do with God. Not even some semblance of God like you see in the false religions, like the idolaters. These are the kinds of people that are just there 
having this kind of appetite satisfied for spiritual engagement by doing things like interpreting omens. An omen, by the way, is an event, something that happens that is regarded as some kind of of indicator of good or evil in the future. Uh, It's something that's going to happen, and I'm going to now read that thing and tell you, here's how this is going to go down. Now, we talk about the phrase, the idiom in our language of reading the tea leaves, right? The idea of seeing some things that are going to have some connection with the spirit world because they're either derived from the spirit world, caused by the spirit world, and we're going to tell you what's going to come because someone who's got spiritual insight to interpret things can do that because they can interpret those omens, those events that are portents to the future. The next phrase in this passage in Deuteronomy 18 is a sorcerer. A sorcerer is someone now who seems to have more power over these spirit beings. In other words, he's not just there looking through the glass at the zoo, trying to see, well, let me just tell you what all this means. He's not the guy who's giving you the tour. He's getting in the cage now, and he's the tamer. He can wrestle with these things, or he's got the whip. So he is someone, uh, the modern words we might use is someone who's got uh, an engagement in, in some kind of magic, or a wizard, or a witch, or someone who has some kind of ability to corral these things in the spirit world. The next one in this phrase is a charmer. A charmer. Charmer is one who is able to enlist some kind of formula, some kind of spell. We talk about conjuring spells, binding people. A lot of times it's with a special object. We talk about good luck charms. That charm is someone who, a a charm is something that a charmer is going to utilize for the sake of either protection or advantage or fortune or doing something for you that's going to prevent bad or enhance good, a charmer, a medium, a medium, someone who has some kind of contact with spirits. Usually the spirits involved here are not the angelic class because, again, if I reject God to the margins of the theology, quote-unquote, theology of my system of belief, my philosophy, well, then angels I don't even have a place for. My only real focus would be then is those who have died because I know they're spiritual just like I'm spiritual. I want to deal with those spirits that have already left. Why can't I talk to my grandpa? He's dead. Well, I can have a medium connect me there. A medium can connect with that spirit that's departed. And that's what mediums were. They were the people who could contact the dead. This is a more intensified word for it. The next word that's translated from Hebrew, which is a more intensified word into English, is the necromancer. That comes from in our language from a Greek word, which is the dead, one who is able to connect with the dead in a way that would even give us some sense of what's happening in the future. The dead are going to have powers. They're going to have insights. They're going to have perspectives that I don't have. So I'm going to connect with them. It's much like not just being a medium who sits there on the glass and watches what happens in in the whale tank, but the person now who goes in and is going to help direct things, contacting the dead in some way because I can read them and understand something about your future. It's much like a person practicing divination through the channel of talking to people that are departed. And again, now we got just one now who's described, these three all go together, who's inquiring of the dead, just seeking information about anything from dead people about whatever it might be. That's a general phrase that catches all those. Now that's a very helpful list for us But what you've got to read when you read this passage is what God thinks. And what he thinks is whoever does these things makes me want to barf. Uh, This is gross to me. It's sickening to me. I just use that phrase because Jesus speaks in those terms in Laodicea in in Rev 3, Revelation 3. The idea, though, an abomination just has that sense of it's a visceral reaction of God because I hate it. And as a matter of fact, he goes on to explain elsewhere, it's one of the reasons I'm driving them out. 
because the things that they're doing, which is where the ellipsis should come in at this point, drove them even to kill their own children to see these things happen and to corral whatever spiritual power they thought they had. All right. Now, Satanism in the occult and new agers, how does that express itself today? Well, some of these words go straight, straight across, but let's think it through. You pass the psychic reader on the side of the road. I can think of places all over South Orange County. I can think of some, they're coming to my mind. Boom, 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 boom. All the places where there's a storefront where someone, I can't believe it, is making enough money to pay the rent in these strip malls uh, to, to be a psychic, a psychic reader. A psychic reader. You're supposed to go in there and somehow have them interpret something, read something spiritually. They have some heightened perceptive abilities to somehow connect with something that you can't and they're going to tell you something you want to know. They're somehow clairvoyant or in tune with the spiritual world. And this is going on all over the place. They're actually signing leases and opening storefronts and having sign makers come out and put it on their signs. And it's unbelievable that exactly what was going on in Canaan, that God said, this is an abomination to me, is going on in our city. To get more specific, a lot of these psychic readers are involved in tarot cards. The tarot cards, those are back from, I mean, there's a long history to the 15th century in Europe where these cards initially started to be used for the purpose of divination. And some of you, I'm sure, know much more about the tarot cards than I do, but sometimes you picture these cartoonish figures. I've just found a picture, didn't take me but two minutes, of someone that you think might want to cut your hair and and, uh, looks pretty normal, and yet they're engaged in this act of trying to make a buck to give you a sense, whether they're sincere or not, we'll talk about that later, uh, to try and somehow connect with your future, to divinate your future. And of course, there's the old standby of the palm reader, which is a, was a serious endeavor in, in many places at many points of, of history. Palmistry, chiromancy, that's from the Greek word, the hand, the palm reader. Then, of course, there's the crystal ball person, the crystal gazer, they're called. I read about these. I can't believe they're still doing it, but whatever. There, yeah, there it is. The psychic, one of the mediums to get your future read, a method of seeing visions, connecting with people, usually through trances, form of divination. And before I go any farther, I guess that's enough of the psychics and crystal balls and palm readers. You say, are they real or are they not real? I go back to the witch at Endor story. When Samuel had died and Saul, the king, just wanted to know what was going on because his back was against the wall, so to speak, and he's about to go into battle. And so he's desperate and he wants to talk to Samuel, but Samuel has died. So he goes into the, you know, the diviner, the necromancer to try to talk to Samuel. And, and I think much like a lot of these people today, if not almost all of these people today, they're messing around with things that fulfill the desire in people's hearts to connect with the spiritual world, but they themselves are con men and, and con women, if that's even a word. But as He goes there to deal with this witch at Endor to divine or call up to summon the dead Samuel. Samuel actually shows up. And if you remember the passage uh, in 1 Samuel, she screams with surprise. I'm thinking to myself, if you do this every day for a living, it shouldn't be all that surprising to you. So here's an example of what I think is feeding a satanic desire in the masses. How do enough people go in to get their futures read? 
in these places to pay the rent at South Orange County strip malls. How does that happen unless people are driven to do that? They're trying to connect with the spiritual desire they have and usually, if not almost exclusively, through con men. So I don't think it matters that the person that's administrating this is a con. It's filling, spiritually speaking, a desire that keeps these people away from Christ and God and connecting with the real God. And I think that's a classic example in 1 Samuel where we see the necromancer surprised that actually it happened to work today. I'm just going to tell her husband that night. I can't believe it. I was at work and I did it for the first time. And that was a bad day for her. She was sure she was going to get killed. And it was a bad day for every Bad day for Saul, if you know the story. Bad day for his sons. Without a lot of help from a lot of people, at least there's not uh, as many storefronts that are providing this, but uh, back in the day, a very popular point, part of the newspaper, and it's still a part of websites, I thought I would add here, horoscope.com, uh, people are trying to get their horoscopes read based on their astrology, their place in the birth of their, their, their birth on the earth related to the movements of the objects in the sky, and you're familiar with this, and some of you have heard lectures on this, but this goes back to Old Testament times. We have references in the Bible to it. I didn't take time to put up on the screen, but people wanting to connect with something beyond the physical to say something to their lives about the future. Uh, And by the way, remember this word, abomination. What does God think of people pursuing that ever? Abomination. Now I've heard, I've been in, you know, Christian circles for a long time. People go, I just do it for fun. I don't think if God says, I hate this thing, you would do it for fun if you really cared about God. You understand what I'm saying? God hates you, I don't know, murdering people. I don't think you should play around with murder for fun. You see what I'm saying? If God hates something, we should, we should, we shouldn't play around with it. Even if you say, well, it's just for fun for me. But it's an avenue through which people are having this need met in their lives. And it's, Satan would love to have them read their horoscopes for the rest of their life, put some hope in that, and miss God altogether. Runes, which I put up here just because I think that's had a resurgence of late in, in reading the rune stones. It's not always stones, sometimes it's cards. But uh, another way of predicting the future, these rune stones are 24 of them in these ancient alphabetic symbols. And some of you are probably more familiar with these than I am. Nevertheless, another way that this is put forth as a means of divination, which again, God hates, abomination to God, hates it. Now, psychics in pop culture, these are people are everywhere. Home study programs, internet websites. Uh, there's been stars. Maureen Hancock, one of the most popular mediums on, on television, written books. If you don't know her, you probably know John Edwards. Been on Oprah's show, had his own show. Crossing Over was the name of his show. If you watch that stuff, it'd be like you watching porn. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? Does, does God like uh, uh, lust and adultery? No. So if you come home, your husband's watching hardcore porn, I think you'd say, turn that off. Probably, you probably wouldn't say that calmly. Now, he walks in and you're watching John Edwards. You need to understand this may be popular in our culture. just like pornography is popular in our culture. It's unacceptable to God and it's an abomination. Well, I don't really believe it. It doesn't matter if you believe it. Just like a guy watching porn says, well, I don't really believe it. I'm not going to go do it. Well, it's wrong and, and God hates it. Speaking of Oprah, I found this clip of uh, James, what's his name? Van Prague or whatever his name is. Yeah. So on, on Oprah, he's another, and again, most of these guys are con men. If you watch their whole approach to it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a carnival act, but nevertheless, they're doing something abomination to God. It fills a, a void in people's lives. 
God hates it, calls it an abomination. Why? Because it's allowing people to get hooked on following some kind of spiritual connection with something that's not real, something that's wrong, something that Satan's pulling them into so that they'll avoid the spiritual quest and hunger they should have. Necromancers in Christian culture. Well, there's none of those. No one's trying to contact the dead in Christian culture. What about all these books about going and talking to my grandpa, my uncle, and the, the guy that uh, I met, you know, whatever, when I was a little boy, the person that led me to Christ, my Sunday school teacher. Listen, if you're going to heaven, you're meeting these people, coming back and telling me about it, you're fitting the classic example of the necromancer. You understand that. You're involved in, in being a, a medium of information from, from, from dead spirits. You see it on the positive side, 90 Minutes in Heaven by Piper, best-selling book, New York Times bestseller. You've got the other one, also a bestseller, Divine Revelation of Hell, Mary Baxter. Uh, you got this one that everyone loves to, to, to swoon over, Heaven is for Real. Again, you're going and giving me information that you're claiming is, is coming from someone who's gone to the dead and has come back. For the, you're, you're, made, you're meeting the biblical definition of these things. Another popular one, sold on Christian sites, hard to believe, 23 Minutes in Hell, uh, another New York Times bestseller. These are big sellers. Why? Because they scratch an, a, an itch in the people's lives that want this connection to the spiritual world. Not to mention the games in our culture. There's all kinds of apps that deal with defining the future, telling the future, predicting the future. If you go back, grew up when I did, the Ouija board was really big. And don't admit it to me, but a lot of you messed around with this back in the day, right? trying to figure out the, the future. You go on the boardwalks and the carnival shops, the arcade stands. I think this one was at uh, Disneyland on Main Street. Remember that? The fortune teller. Okay. And just remember, when you pass that, you might as well pass some hardcore porn peep show in God's mind. I mean, am I being too graphic tonight? I'm trying to get your attention. This, you should say, God hates that. That hates that. Don't be putting your nickels in, in, in stuff like this. Even though you know, oh, it's not real. It's just a game. Speaking of games, most of you had one of these, didn't you? the old magic eight ball. What's that all about? Trying to define what's going to happen. Well, it's just a piece of plastic, Mike, in a, you know, in a, in a sealed uh, water ball, a plastic ball. I'm just saying you're messing around with something that God says. I'm driving people out of their land and I'm having them exterminated. And, and here's the list of reasons why. Trying to de- derive spiritual connection to something that does not have its, its foundation in, in God's revelation in scripture. That's off limits. God's got one sanctioned channel for us to connect with the spirit world, and it's him. Several things there. Here's a short section. Let's talk about Satanism in syncretistic religions. That's a word. I was going to replace it, but I think it's a good word for us to know. It's used enough in writings and and certainly in Christian writings. You need to understand syncretism. Syncretism is a word that means when you take two things and you combine them, two things that are antithetical that shouldn't go together. And there's a group of religions, most of them Africa, Caribbean, some in in, uh, America and Florida, a lot going on right here in Southern California, where you have the clearly evil spirituality with no reference to what is right and good and wholesome being connected with Christianity and Christ. Those, when those are conflated, when those go together, you can, I mean, that, that's not the only, you don't have to be that polarized to qualify for the word syncretism or syncretist. But when those two things come together, it's the ultimate form of syncretism. Two things that don't go together that have been merged together. And this ritual that I see right here, that looks pretty satanic, doesn't it? That looks pretty evil. And it is. And it's derived from all kinds of of demonic uh, activity. And yet you see these things combined. And a classic example I'll give you is Santeria, uh, which has been going on for a long time. 
and, and comes through Cuba. And thanks to one of our gatekeepers, I've got a series of photos of what's going on here in Southern California. In the, um, it's an offshoot of Santeria, La Santa Muerta in Spanish, right? The Holy Death. This is a, a lot of, of satanic rituals that are now combined with Christianity, Roman Catholicism in particular, and those things have been put together. The Mexican drug cartels have adopted this as, as their kind of uh, ritualistic, you want to talk about charms, Char, uh, it, it's the way for them to have safety in their drug trade and protection when they go out and do their, their illegal work. And these are all pictures from Southern California when cops have come in and done drug busts. These are original photos, not off the internet of going in and seeing these groups that have this form of what came from a Cuban, Afro-Cuban Santeria ritual that's now used to have the drug Mexican drug cartels protect themselves from the spirits and have the spirits protect them as they go about their nefarious work. And I mean, you wonder what's going on in, in the neighbor's entryway sometimes. But I, I'll show you this next picture. You can see even all the things you have from, from the origins of Santeria mixed right there with a picture of Jesus praying and, and the Madonna, the Mary in the vase there and the crucifix to the right. And yet you look on the ground in some of these places, you'll see the satanic symbols where, where you even have sacrificial diagrams on the ground and some of their altars. If you look closely at some of these, which that's not a great picture of seeing closely, but this one's a little bit closer. You see the decapitated heads, you see the swords, you see the daggers, and you see where they burn certain things. And then you'll go into a house or in another part of a house and see all the religious artifacts, uh, all the Catholicism, all the, the, the pictures of Mary, all the statues of Jesus, uh, all the candles. Uh, they'll lay out money. They'll put out food. They'll put food before some of these idols that they construct. And this is the kind of syncretism of evil spirituality getting the dark side of my spiritual interest, this macabre interest, and I'll connect it with, with Christianity in some way. And all of these took place, these pictures were taken right here in, in SoCal. All right, that's a short section. Let's wrap it up with this. Satanism in, let's call it dark spiritists and Satanists. People that just go, I'm for, I'm for the enemy. I'm for Satan. Satanism in dark spiritists and, and Satanists. Satanists are now going to say, hey, I, I'm not even going to, tell you that I'm not, I'm not seeking the true God. I, I, here's my phrase, the one phrase to describe it. It's pursuing spiritualism against the true God. Now, here's finally, you've got somebody with a sense of who the real God is. As a matter of fact, when this is all developed, Aleister Crowley and, and Anton LaVey, which is the Satanic Bible, which was a best-selling book as well. Anton LaVey, you might remember, and you even wonder, is Anton LaVey playing this up? Is he just a carnival guy, a gimmick guy? He hated Christianity. And, and if you read his story, he's certainly reacting vehemently against Christianity here in Southern California, that response creating the church and end up starting it in, in San Francisco, uh, the Church of Satan, these things grew out of a, a real ardent dislike for Christianity. But what they have, at least, is a picture of the God that we're pursuing, and they understand it enough to be able to say, I'm going to do everything antithetically opposed to that. He claims, by the way, it was the hypocrisy of Christians that made him conclude that he wanted to do everything he could uh, to rebel against it in the most unvarnished terms. 
Spiritists, of course, are all those that want to connect with the spiritual world. But I'm not just now trying to connect with my uncle like on the Oprah show. You know, I want to talk to my dead father and know if it's going to be all right, if my baby's going to be born healthy. These are not positive encounters with the spirit world. These are the negative ones. These are the macabre ones. These are the, the ones that are evil and in any definition of, of conscience at least. And just to show you from the satanic Bible, the nine satanic statements, everything is, and this is the thing, all of it is a mockery of Christianity. All of it is inverted from the Bible. We don't have 10 commandments. They got nine. That's a, that's a kick in the shins to the 10 commandments. And then you have a series of statements that are obviously all going to look very antithetical to Christianity. Look at the first one. Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. You're always having me keep my pants zipped up, which is exactly what they're all about, by the way, is sexual indulgence and all the things they involve themselves in with the black mass and everything else that they do, which it seems like they're a bunch of overgrown teenagers. But when they do these things, it's all about unbridled uh, sexual in, in involvement and rape and so many other things. Anyway, represents indulgence instead of abstinence. The second statement, which again, it's not going to be a commandment. They don't believe in commandments. Represents a vital existence instead of a spiritual pipe dream. They, they mock Christianity. Satan represents undefiled wisdom instead of hypocritical self-deceit, which is what started as a child for Anton LaVey, who wrote all these things. This comes from page 25, by the way, of the Satanic Bible, because he hated Christians that he saw as phony, as hypocrites. Satan represents kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on ingrates. Uh, Satan represents vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. Right? These are the bad boys. Satan represents responsibility to the responsible instead of concern for, for the psychic vampires. Satan represents man, just as another animal, sometimes better, more often worse than those who walk on all four, who, because of his divine spiritual intellectual development, since the sarcasm, has become the most vicious animal of all. In other words, you spiritual Christian people are the problem. Satan represents all this so-called sins, right? That's the fun stuff as they lead to physical, mental, and emotional gratification. That's why this is all about indulgence. And then of course, a kick ultimately at Christianity at the end. Satan has been the best friend of the church has ever had. He's kept in a business for all these years. You think these people really believe this? I don't know. Some may, some don't, but certainly those who get involved with this love the spiritual aspect that does resonate with a part of their being and they enjoy the, the unbridled rebellion against all that God has said is right. And you would expect to find this at places like Harvard. Here's an article a couple of years ago, Harvard group hosting a reenactment of the satanic black mass. And these are not, by the way, the fake news sites I'm getting these from. These are legitimate. It's from the Boston, uh, one of the Boston newspapers. Here was their ad, by the way, Harvard Extension Cultural Studies Club presents the black mass reenacted by the satanic temple, May the 12th, 830. Get here on time. And then there's weird stuff that you see with so much of what was presented through Aleister Crowley and, and the, the spiritism. And there were so many other things and we I don't have time to, because everyone's doing their own thing as it relates to hailing Satan in their, in their organizations. But when it comes to what became most popular, at least in uh, the satanic development of an organized set of icons and, and salutes and, and, and phrases, you see these things showing up in the weirdest places. This was a tunnel in Switzerland that opened. And this is the news from the BBC that said the, the oddest moments of the opening uh, ceremonies of this tunnel that they built, the Gothard Base Tunnel, it's called. It's the longest and deepest in the world. Maybe you caught the news on this or you're into engineering and you knew about this. But they had this ceremony that even had the papers scratching their head as to what this was all about. I'll give you some slide screen captures of this. And if you go on, if you go on YouTube and watch some of these things, it's unbelievable. And of course, what you have 
in, in terms of, of the satanic symbols that have been popularized in the, in the 60s, 70s, uh, and even before that, but certainly in the 60s and 70s, all these things reflected in this weird, bizarre ceremony that was put together by, put together by this avant-garde, quote-unquote, artist. And of course, satanic rituals are all about nakedness. Well, they didn't go so far as to be naked, but they tried to look naked in all of their ceremonies that went on. Now, this is at a, at a suit and tie executive engineering celebration of what they're doing. And they got a stage set up in this tunnel and, and all these execs are there while they're dancing around with horns on their head with all of these symbols that you can trace to the kinds of things that are uh, spelled out in these satanic rituals. I mean, just so many things, and it's gross. And these are the ones I can show you. And I'm even reluctant to show you some of these. And some of the coverage on Twitter, for instance, they were bringing a lamb through there. This guy tweets, a journalist, why is there a dead lamb? You know, there are a lot of people scratching their heads at the bizarre nature of what was going on in this. And again, I just want to give you a sense of what the crowd was like. I mean, this is, what, this is a picture of, of the executives. And you just got to think, well, this is a bizarre thing. This is not, you know, tap dancing with straw hats and canes. This is a, this is a celebration of, 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 you know, goat heads and, and nakedness and, and all the, 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 the twisted images that you could trace without being a conspiracist to see what was uh, connected to clearly the expressions that people had in, in a, just a recent decade or two uh, designated as demonic and satanic. And of course, closer to home, you've got uh, the opening of this uh, art gallery, this is, you know, this, this uh, news organization covering the Salem art gallery opening. Just again, bizarre that these places can pay their rent and, and they truly seem to enjoy what's going on in, in what they're creating. I mean, the articles, this was from a, a tweet, I think, from it. This is their uh, satanic you know, goat-headed picture of, of Satan. And you think of those things from Old Testament times, Beelzebul or what have you, and you've got modern-day expressions of that where people pay lots of money to create images like this with children looking up to this, this symbol of, of, of Satan. Which that leads you to, okay, well, however real this is in people's mind, they put a lot of time into putting this together. And it's got to say something about us as a culture. Well, our art certainly says something about us as a culture. And Satanism in modern art is, uh, is off the charts. Not only is it vengefully angry against Christianity, as you know, and I could spend all night showing you what's going on in New York in terms of the art scene that desecrates just everything that might be related to Christianity. But I thought I would show you instead uh, Marina, what's her name, Abr- Abramovic, do you know that name? If you were following the WikiLeaks deal where they were dumping all that stuff before the election. One of the dumps was of John Podesta, Tony Podesta, John Podesta's brother, getting an email from this artist, this avant-garde artist. And it's, again, The Guardian was saying this in, in, in the UK, that, of course, as the subtitle is an email from, was forwarded from, uh, by Clinton campaign chief, had been seized on by the right as proof of the Democratic candidate, uh, Hillary Clinton, has links to the occult. Well, okay, whatever you think about that, Podesta, of course, you know who he, he was in terms of, of leading the presidential campaign for Clinton. Uh, I just don't want to see any association with this woman at all when I show you what she's all about. Here, by the way, was the email in question. As she writes, Tony, I'm looking forward to the spirit cooking dinner. Now, again, I'm going to explain what that is to you in a second. At my place, do you think you'll be able to 
let me know if your brother is joining us, which is the head of the Clinton campaign. Again, I'm not here to make a statement about Clinton. I'm just saying, here are people in upper echelons of our cultural elite that love people like this. What is Marina all about? Here's some of her publicity photos. This is what she puts out for herself. And then, by the way, I love her Twitter feed that said, stop calling me a Satanist. I'm not a Satanist. I wish I could show you. It's hard to see, and my laser doesn't work very well. But her name here is her last name, first initial, and the, and the number 666. I mean, not to mention the, the publicity photos that you put out and the things that you do. This is your expression of yourself. Again, these are what she puts forward. None of this Photoshop. The spirit cooking was one of the things that she did and, and laid out in her art exhibit, I think in, in New York, that I've watched online and I've seen it and it's awful. It, it, one of the highlights is them spilling blood all over these uh, idols in the corner and these images. The things that she does are disgusting. Here's, here's part of that display and it gets a whole lot worse. And again, I can't show you half of what she does. I'll, I'll shudder to show you these things. This one she calls the lips of Thomas. So many of the things, she's got a razor blade in her hand, by the way, are things that she does with references to Christianity or Christ that are completely, you know, obviously the, the opposite. All she does is the macabre. All she does is what is satanic. She engages in these things and these symbols as, as her expression of art. And I could go on all night just about her alone. But I thought I'd show you this. And if you're squeamish, you might want to see this next one. It's probably the worst one I've got. It's not real. It's not a cadaver, but it's made to look like a cadaver. And I just thought I'd show you our OC girl posing in front of some of her artwork. Here's Gwen Stefani, like Jelton's wife or girlfriend. And there's a lot of stars hanging out with, with this. These are the things going on. And you think not only is this a violation of whatever's pure, just, you know, lovely, you know, excellent, worthy of repute, think on these things. These are things that if you saw the rest of these presentations are, are clearly an expression and exaltation of, of what we see elsewhere in, in all of these, these paradigms of the satanic, uh, exalted in, in, and called art. And again, I'm not trying to sound like a youth pastor here as I get into this next section, but I think about satanic motifs in music. There are too many to talk about. I can't talk about it, but you can't even see, you know, the old lady Madonna who used to have, and I don't, there's something, I can't tell you some secrets about her life, but I know some things about her life that have ties with some interest. I know she's in Kabbalah, but she's had some flirtation spiritually with, with evangelical Christianity. And yet this is where her shows end up, right? With, with the horned, uh, you know, demons on the stage. And again, I, I'm not here to be your youth pastor to talk about it all, but I, I could go on and on and on and on with this, with the satanic motifs in music appealing mostly to the young rebellious teenagers. And, and the only reason I put the horned thing up there as I thought about, you know, and I've done, this is not, this is not uh, basic youth conflict, Bill Goddard uh, research. I'm talking about if you just do some looking back at how this all began with this salute, which goes to, you know, Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan, it is interesting, and I'll just leave you to study on your own, why this has become such a universal expression of, of this rebellious rock culture. It's always this tie back to Satanism. Even good old boys like, what, what's this guy's name? Nick Jonas, is that it? To see him sporting a shirt, this is not Photoshop and this is not on a fake news site, wearing an Aleister Crowley t-shirt 
and, and I had to look where, you know, what this is, what the design is, how in the world did he end up with Aleister Crowley's face, this massive promoter of Satanism and, and the occult. And, and maybe he wore it better, I, I suppose. Adam Lambert was wearing more of it to show more of it. But here's this satanic t-shirt with the, I mean, one of the, the, the catalytic leaders of what has grown into the, the Church of Satan and sat- Satanism, Aleister Crowley, which is nothing new. If you go back to our era, my era as a kid, remember the Beatles album cover? And I, if you went to youth group, surely someone pointed out Aleister Crowley in the back there. Of, of that. I'm just saying, there's this loving connection of the avant-garde, cool, rebellious, young, hip, whether it's art in the upper echelon or the teenager just buying songs of, of the connection with these expressions that God says, look at the rebellion in, in the spiritual realm against the, the truth of what I've said should be the ultimate fulfillment of your spiritual quest. Yeah, I could talk a lot more about that but I don't want to sound like your youth pastor. Did you youth pastor? I don't want to, soon he's going to do playing, you know, Led Zeppelin backwards on the stage. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that was real. You understand. And I'm not even saying that a lot of people that participate in this as the leaders and purveyors of this believe what they involve themselves with. But I will tell you that there's a lot going on in scratching the quest or the itch or the desire, the appetite in people's lives for the spiritual and having them find some expression of that as long as they don't follow Christ. And this is one I don't wish I had another week on, but I could have used the full hour and a half to deal with what is going on in our crazy culture as it relates to these absolutely rebellious expressions of spiritual wickedness in our day. And again, I'm not a conspiracist, but I am a conspiracist when it comes to spiritual things. And none of this makes any sense unless there's a enemy that is seeking to get us to rebel against the God who loves us, loves us enough to send his son to die so that our sins wouldn't have to consign us to hell. Well, we started with bad theology and we ended with really bad theology. So that's about as bad as it gets. And with that, we should pray. Let's pray. God, it's awful to think about our world and their morbid interest in what is spiritually evil. And I know, God, so many people do this, do this just for the sake of being contrarians, being mad, being rebellious. But God, you're a God that does love what is excellent, what is lovely, whatever is of good repute. These are things you admire and you want our hearts to love what you love and I just pray that we would be at least sensitive enough to your desires and your values that we would, that we would run and avoid and pray for those that uh, engage in things that for them may be even foolish connections and, and ignorant connections with things that just exemplify the rebellion against your truth and against your son, against your great virtues. God, we're so glad that you're a gracious and kind and forgiving God, but you're also a just God. And unless we see our sin for what it is, you will have to see us punished for our sins. And so we pray that this series would help us to understand those that have not submitted their lives to Christ and we'd be able to to speak at least with some intelligence about what may be captivating their thoughts. And tonight I know we started with some things that were not at all sensational, but perhaps the most concerning and deadly of all in terms of 
messing up our lives and our church, our thoughts, our neighbors who have no room in their thoughts for you. So give us insight, give us tact, give us skill in speaking as you show us the Apostle Paul was willing to beg for prayer from his fellow Christians that he would have boldness and courage, be given words to speak, to make the gospel clear as it ought to be made clear. And we want the same for us, God. So let us speak up for you, speak clearly, understand what we're up against, not be ignorant of the designs of the enemy so that we might not be outwitted by him. God, thanks for our study. Thanks for this semester. Give us a good night and a a good Christmas season celebrating the reason that we have hope because you've sent your son to fulfill the righteousness that we didn't have and to pay the debt that we needed to pay. Thank you so much for that. We celebrate that this Christmas in Jesus' name. Amen.